It's Fundamental podcast is brought to you by the Funds Academy, a collaborative project between Munster Technological University and Southeast Technological University. Hi everyone, John here from the, the Funds Academy and I'm joined uh, next to me here with uh, Ashlyn O'Mani uh, and we're delighted to have uh, Jamie Fiore Higgins uh, join us today on our podcast series Jamie spent 18 years straight out of college going into Goldman Sachs, rising to MD level uh, and has written a book on her experiences. And the book is called Bully Markets, which we shall uh, have a chat about later. Um, Since then, she's moved into professional coaching, helping young professionals navigate the the workplace. Jamie, you're very welcome and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe just to kind of get us kick started today, um, it, it'd be great just to kind of let our let our listenership know kind of your the kind of the movement of your career and how you maybe went from you know what I suppose we call secondary school, you might call high school. How you mm-hmm. made that move from high school to college, in then into into the professional ranks, and did you always kind of have yourself and and your career ambitions set at being an investment banker? Not at all. (laughs) So I am from the States. I'm from New Jersey. And education is super important to my family. My parents grew up in poverty. So for them, being the first in their family to go to the local college was kind of paramount for them to live that so-called American dream. So I went to a a pretty well-ranked college. It was a woman's college in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents always felt like that school could possibly open doors for me into graduate school or into the workforce. And I had a childhood marked with a lot of um, physical setbacks. I have a condition called scoliosis, which is a fairly common condition. It's when your spine is curved, but mine was a very extreme case where um, I had to have surgery because it was starting to uh, compress on my heart and lungs. And if I hadn't had surgical intervention, I would have died. Mm. And so I really benefited as a child from social workers and doctors and nurses. And I really wanted to have a career where I was kind of doing good in the world. And so I announced to my parents as I was finishing my college education that I wanted to become a social worker and they were not that supportive. And they're lovely people. And I know they wanted what was best for me, but they felt that social work um, is not really um, a field that you do to make money. And they felt that every generation has to do better in terms of moving the family forward economically. And the irony was it wasn't the money wasn't to be spent on fancy cars or fancy clothes or fancy houses, but rather just have that security that you could live in a safe area, educate your family, you know, feed them, clothe them, et cetera. So the directive was in the beginning of my senior year, my last year at university was to get the best paying job possible. Mm -hmm. And in 1998, that was Wall Street. And so I made it my mission to get a good paying job. And it, it just so happened that my first week back on campus, there was an event by Goldman Sachs. And I didn't even know what Goldman Sachs did, but I went. And I went to the um, I went to the alumni house, which I had only ever been there to waitress. And I was invited to this cocktail party, and there were drinks and hors d'oeuvres. 
And a woman took the stage from Goldman and she was super, super impressive and said it was a firm that was really welcoming of women, of people in varied backgrounds. And I was hooked. And so I went back that night to my dorm room. My feet were throbbing because I rarely wore high heels. And I said, I don't know what Goldman Sachs does, but I want to work there. And that was kind of the beginning of my eight month quest to get a job at Goldman Sachs. That's so interesting. And I suppose coming from a family that hasn't previously been in financial services or that world and then to be thrust into that world, I can imagine what that was like. Um, but I suppose since then, you rose through the ranks um, making MD. You had an 18 year long career in Goldman Sachs. And I suppose I just wanted to touch on that, given that you've achieved so much in, in your life professionally and personally. And I know that from time to time, um those who've reached seniority in very competitive financial services environments um, and who are also juggling life milestones um, have this pressure and there is this perpetual concept of having it all. And mm. do you believe that that concept, now that you have gone through that that journey from when you were an undergrad to where you are now, um, does put more pressure, the, 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 the pressure on females to succeed more personally and professionally than it does on men, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, I mean, I read a really interesting article once that said, you know, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Yeah. Um, part of what I'm trying to do with this book is change a little bit of that, mm. because I think companies can do better to have a little more balance. And I feel like employees can have a little more agency to kind of carve out that more balanced mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. So for me... I was in a lot of ways, the poster child, if you will, for the Goldman working mother, female, yep. I had kids, I had a partner, I had a great career. In my experience, I almost lost everything, mm -hmm. my family, um, you know, in pursuit of that. Yep. So what I would really like to see going forward is for people, women or men, to be able to strike a balance where they have a career that's fulfilling, where they make money, but are also able to pursue other passions outside of the office, whether it be family, whether it be hobbies, whether it be education. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's something that is prevalent in many industries, particularly in financial services, where there's uh, a culture of longer hours, etc. You have deadlines, you have sometimes clients that are working all hours as well. So I can understand that that can that can create this culture, whether those who are working in the industry want it or not. It, it just seems to be something that happens. And I suppose through your personal experience and, you know, your recent book, um. There, you have become, I suppose, a spokesperson, I suppose, for that improvement that you've just mentioned. And I suppose we wanted to understand, do you believe that the culture within these organisations can change or have you seen change in recent years? I know it's been a number of years since you've left financial services, but say from the beginning of career, like you just mentioned, coming from Bryn Mawr into Goldman Sachs and, and since then, have you seen an improvement over the years? And do you believe there is that willingness to change there in terms of that culture? Absolutely. There seems to be a commitment to improving that mm. I saw over my 18 year career. So for example, I talked about lactation rooms in my book. When I first started Goldman, there weren't even lactation rooms. Mm -hmm. So starting in 98, there wasn't such a thing. When I left, there was a lactation room. Um, you know, so, but here's the rub. The rub is 
the lactation rooms weren't used because people didn't feel empowered to do it. Another example, there was no such thing as an LGBTQ plus ally network when I first started. There was when I left. Great. Um, but yet um, there was still a lot of um, discrimination happening on the day to day when it came to that population. Mm -hmm. So again, um, there wasn't really a focus on hiring diversity when I first started. And then there is now in, I think, 2020, after I left, Goldman said they want to hire 50% of new hires for women. So yes, they are acknowledging that there are some deficits and creating some um, containers to address it. My challenge to them is you can't just say it you have to model the behavior. So mm -hmm. for example, great that you're bringing in 50% women. That's fabulous. Why aren't they staying? I challenge big firms like Goldman to say, you know what? Why can't you say in 2035, we want 50% of our partners women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that is a goal. Yeah. And now you have 13 years to build a culture to make it happen. Yes, you have lactation rooms, mm -hmm. but everyone's afraid to use it. Why don't we have people on the ground that once a woman has a baby, really set up a culture where they're encouraged to use it? So to me, when I first started, they didn't even have these goals. Mm -hmm. Now they have the goals, which is awesome. Now I challenge to say, make sure those goals are modeled from the new hire up to the partner. And when they are shown to be important by modeling, that's when you're going to have the change. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah, I think I, that's a great. Yeah, it's very interesting to, to hear that, Jimmy. I, I, I suppose. Um, but is there still a kind of a, a fundamental kind of, you know, lack of movement in, in some regard in that because of this kind of pressure on deadlines and because of what might be client expectations that a lot of these larger corporates, uh, they might kind of talk to talk and they might have various, you know, very well-meaning targets. But when it comes down to it, the, whatever the client wants is nearly king and Sometimes that can be, you know, incompatible with, uh, you know, a normal home life, if that's what you want. Well, I feel like Goldman, for example, talking about clients has said they won't bring any companies public unless they have at least one diverse person on their board. So Goldman has been empowered a little bit to push back and make sure that like the, the clients they choose are in alignment. You know, listen, it's work. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not suggesting that it's not work. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, are we really critically looking at the work we do and making sure that, you know, we're we're keeping it an even playing field? Yep. For example, you know, deadlines have to be made. Right. Is there a lot of nonsense going on the desk during the day that's keeping you there till eight o'clock mm -hmm. at night? Or if people were really focused, could they get the work done and then be able to go see their families? Yeah. So I think the way you address these things is literally putting metrics on it. Yep. Wall Street is all about metrics, yep. right? It's yep. about market share. It's about P&L. If you're a trader, you have your own P&L. If you're a salesperson, you have sales credits. If you're in operations, you track errors, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, why don't we track this stuff? Not just say it's important, but track it, you know, track diversity hires, you know, um, tr really track characters of, um, of our employees, you know, 
Uh, there is a well-known social scientist out of the University of Pennsylvania, Adam Grant. And he talks about how when you have personalities that are really a drag on the culture, difficult personalities, they're not worth the PL that they might bring in. Mm -hmm. It has been shown. So it's like, why don't we, when we look at our people, when Goldman looks at their people, say, yes, PL is great, but you know what? We now have a metric for culture carriers. Goldman always talks about the importance of culture carriers. Let's really track it mm -hmm. and be strong enough to say, you know what? If they're not aligned with the firm's values, there are enough smart, sharp people who are of good character that we can hire. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's putting their money where their mouth is, essentially, in, in financial services uh, companies that want to make that change. And they're, 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 they're predicating, I suppose, their ESG policies and their diversity policies on this change. There needs to be actual implementation on the ground from that perspective and actual metrics to track it. Um, I think um, we had touched there on, you know, how having it all, I think, was that was the concept used. But I suppose one thing that John and I have been looking at in the context of encouraging more females into executive education, because obviously that's the space we're in, is that it's very difficult to encourage those in mid to senior level positions back into education because of kind of competing personal commitments and whatnot. Um, notably, that isn't the same issue for um, males of a similar level who might also have personal commitments. So there is that drop off um, in engagement for promotion, you know, for executive education education opportunities, etc. And you mentioned that we need the metrics to track it. Do you think there are other, I suppose, you know, tangible changes that organisations could make to encourage more females to go for promotion and stay in management positions and to prevent this drop off that we see at mid management level? Yeah, I think it's direct mentoring and support. Mm -hmm. mm. So, you know, at least in my experience at Goldman, so many of the men had godfathers, you know, people who would look out for them. A lot of times it's because they had similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Maybe they went to the same school. Maybe they followed the same team. Maybe they liked to drink the same scotch. There were like these kindred spirits and they kind of looked out for one another. Take those people that you want to retain. It's all about building the pipeline. Bring them in get them to stay by giving them that extra support. Mm -hmm. And that's how I think it happens. Because I think in a lot of these industries, especially when you are the minority, right? Like if you're in women in finance, it's hard to see your future because you don't see yourself in the office. Mm -hmm. You don't see anyone who looks like you and acts like you in the office. So we need to kind of bridge the time period. It's going to take time to get that to happen. What can we do in the interim? Get them the coaching, mm -hmm. get them the support, you know, get them the tools to navigate the workforce, mm -hmm. show them that they can do it. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like imposter syndrome and gaslighting, you know, kind of permeates, you know, um, right now, you know, the conversation about work, you know let them know they belong and they can do it. And I think you do that through coaching and mentoring. And these big firms have those resources. Yes. Mm. They have those point. resources. They just need to deploy them better. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. And actually, you touched there on imposter syndrome. And that kind of brings us into the next facet of your career, because we've spoken about, you know, your time um, as an MD and you've written your book, um, which was excellent. And I suppose now we're talking about your your most recent um, 
um, work in coaching, coaching of young professionals. And, you know, you mentioned previously when we spoke before this concept of imposter syndrome and that that need to feel worthy and belong when you're in many of these organisations, which can often drive the unhealthy work practices that we see. Um, and I suppose that can also then lead in, in some instances to a decrease in mental health and whatnot. And I suppose I just wanted to ask, what advice would you give to anyone who is a young professional or in the junior to mid level of their career in any industry I, I don't think this is just financial services relation uh, related this can transcend industry I think that's right yeah and I, I first want to kick it off and say that big powerful organizations like Goldman are very good at giving you imposter syndrome yes mm. the organization is structured in many ways I'll never forget making managing director which is a really hard thing to do at Goldman and the guy kicked off and said, how many of you don't feel like you belong here, that you don't feel like you belong? Most everyone raised their hand. <laughs> Even the men, most everyone raised their hand. So I think that that um, structure where you're kind of made to doubt yourself mm -hmm. and feel really lucky to be there and you're only there because of them and you know, you're nothing without that firm, it's kind of an intent. Because that's what kind of gets you to stay. My first day at Goldman Sachs, they said, welcome to Goldman Sachs, the home of the most paranoid and insecure people in the world, because that's what it takes to put up with this environment. <laughs> okay. Mm. So, and I have to tell you, I've heard from many people since my book from Goldman who said, oh my God, they told me the exact same thing. Right. So I think there's a little bit of intent there. Okay. So what can the young professional do? Um, another big buzzword now, set up a boundary, mm -hmm. meaning I always tell my young professionals, you are the CEO of your own career. This is at will employment, just like your firm can fire you at any time, you can leave at any time. So really understand that the value you're bringing to the table is your own value. Of course, you're getting great experience from your employee and you're learning and stuff, but what you're doing with it is your own. That was, I think, the cautionary tale piece of my book that I really thought all my success was because of them, that I could have been anyone sitting in the seat, which blows my mind at how well I was manipulated by them. Mm -hmm. And so what I really want young people today is say, no, you're bringing your own unique special sauce to the table. Yeah, of course, you're learning from your firms, but you are the CEO of your own career and you get to choose. You get to decide what your career looks like. I always talk about careers like a pie, right? You know, you have, you have your compensation, you have your passion, your challenge, your interest, and then you have your flexibility to do all the other things you want to do in your life. You could also have a pie of life which is your whole life, your relationships, your family, all that kind of stuff. But to me, it's like do an analysis of your pie. Make sure you're okay with it. Maybe you are okay with working a lot of time for the money for a certain amount of time. Maybe that's okay. To me, as long as you are choosing, mm -hmm. you are deciding to accept that pie. And then you're willing to say, you know what? I, I, I want more of a, I want more of a personal life. I want more of a time to pursue passions, hobbies, you know, I want to rethink it. And not only you're the CEO of your own career, but you need to have your own board of directors. I have my own board of directors, <laughs> trusted advisors that I bounce things off of. 
And I think by setting that wall and that boundary that, um, that you are a consultant, if you will, to your company, has you retained your own identity? Because I think it's a slippery slope when so much, for me, my whole identity was wrapped in Goldman. And that's why it was so hard for me to see what I brought to the table versus what Goldman brought to the table. And that's why it was so hard for me to leave because I really didn't think I would be successful for anyone else. So I really want young people today to have more autonomy mm. and agency when it comes to their careers. And I wonder, is that something that's happening organically as well, particularly in a post pandemic environment where many people had the time to to reflect and there was a bit more introspection because you were locked in your in your homes for so long. And I think that we've seen the result of that has been many career changes and different life decisions, etc. Um, and also, I think we've heard that the newer generations coming up uh, no longer see themselves as lifers for one company that that culturally has changed. So yes. it'll be interesting to see how corporate culture adapts to address those preferences of kind of newer joiners. Do you, would you have any kind of thoughts on that? Can you see that change in those who you're speaking to, young, younger generations who are just maybe joining the professional world for the first time? A hundred percent. And I love it because I think that's what's also going to spur on the change because, you know, for example, Goldman Sachs, I think it's their second or third business principle. They say their most important asset are their people. So, you know, even for some of these large, inst large institutions who don't want to change, they're going to have to. Mm -hmm. So to me, I feel like with the employees looking for a different experience, I think the and and these younger people saying, no, you know what? There are plenty of opportunities outside for me. If I'm not going to find what I need here, I'm going to go elsewhere. It's going to force these big companies to change. Mm -hmm. So I think we are in this really remarkable time um, where I do think 10 years from now, uh, corporate life can look different. So, Jamie, then I suppose do you see that change occurring um, from uh, driven largely by the employee or do you think that some of that change should be driven by regulators, politicians? You know, we in some countries, they have gender quotas. They have various other kind of quotas. Um, so or, or do you see it kind of the change being driven by, um, you know, advocates like yourself? I think it's yes and all of it. So, you know, I know Gretchen Carlson, who is a very well-known um um, uh, media person. She worked at Fox News. She's a journalist. She's been lobbying DC for NDA reform, the disclosure agreements, because a lot of these NDAs silence people from complaining. You know, you have that aspect. In New York this week, they passed this kind of pay disparity pay disparity bill that's trying to get companies to show that their pay is really even across the board. Mm -hmm. Then I think you have employees who are demanding more and are having the power to kind of walk away if their companies aren't giving it. But the companies also have to do it too. They have to not only acknowledge that there's a problem, they have to show that they care and they have to put real, direct, actionable steps to correct it and that's what i'm waiting to see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially on wall street yeah yeah 
and I suppose as well, I think I think you 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 hit the nail on the head there in terms of it being a mixture of measures that are required, and it needs to be driven from all fronts. It needs to be driven from the employer. It needs to be driven from the employee, and then also the laws have to have to match. You know, we have a similar gender transparency um pay gap kind of reporting that's required now, and I think anything that opens up that world can only be beneficial to ensuring more parity. I think, and um, yes. so I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there in that regard um so I suppose I, I want to kind of I, I I'm conscious of taking up too much of your podcast but I suppose I, I want to touch more as well on 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 your coaching career now we've talked about the imposter syndrome and I I want to to, to hear about any other kind of advice that you tend to kind of give to those who are setting out for the first time I know there's there's one one area is kind of making sure that you feel comfortable and that you're the CEO to your own career but in terms of I suppose progression and whatnot are there kind of key skills that you look at as a coach that could help any of those listening that are in financial services or otherwise? Yeah, I think a big thing I hear from kind of my younger clients, mid-level clients is they feel stuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I'm just kind of coming in every day and I'm stuck. And I think sometimes when you feel stuck, you feel a little overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I always think of this quote by Mark Twain, and I'm just going to read it because it's on my computer. The secret of getting ahead is getting started. The secret of getting started is breaking your complex, overwhelming tasks into small, manageable tasks and starting on the first one. So I feel like stuck is really a mindset. And then with that comes overwhelm. And then it affects all parts of your life. We talk about mental health. And then it's like, you know, you just feel like you're on that hamster wheel going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so what I really encourage clients is to really look at their careers, quite frankly, look at their whole life, because so much of our careers bleed into our life and our life bleed into our careers and really choose one thing to get started. One thing. And I've seen the power of that. When I left Goldman, I was depressed and lost because so much of my identity was tied to Goldman Sachs. I didn't know what to do with myself. Mm -hmm. And ironically, I had four young kids at home. So I was technically busy, right? Mm -hmm. Dressing, cleaning, wiping, et cetera. But, um, you know, I needed a change and I said, okay, I'm going to make one small step. And the first step I said, you know what? I want to start to write a little bit. Maybe I want to write about it. The first small step is I joined a writing group. And then the next small step is I took a writing class. And the next small step is I decided I was going to devote X amount of hours to write. Mm -hmm. And then before I knew it, I was, I hired myself as a part-time writer Mm -hmm. The pay was nothing. <laughs> it was me. But I said, you know what? If I want to get this book done, I have to hire myself and pretend that I am reporting to a Goldman managing director. Mm-hmm. And I committed to a Goldman Sachs managing director to write 20 hours a week. And I wrote 20 hours a week until the book was done. The point is, it just started with me Googling writing groups in New Jersey to meet with on the weekends. So what I say to clients is, okay, you're stuck. What do you want? Yeah. What do you want? And you know what? No one ever asked me that. No one ever said, Jamie, what do you want in your career? I was just kind of going through the motions Mm -hmm. and doing the job because it was a job everyone said they wanted. And I think the key to having a fulfilling career is just 
reflecting on, well, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What yeah, do you Jane, want? Yeah, that's, and that's, think about one small step, just one tiny step. Yeah, that that's really, really interesting, Jamie. I, I think what's fascinating is how you have brought to bear your own experiences uh, of leaving Goldman Sachs and, you know, you know, impart all that experience onto to, to your to your own clients, uh, to young professionals coming through. Mm -hmm. I think you said in your book, you know, you leave, um, you, you know, you only leave Goldman once. Um, and, you know, you've got a real sense that it was a wrench and it was a big, you know, it was a big decision for you to go. Um, and, and, and then you moved into the, the writing part of your career. Um, and, and, and I suppose, did you kind of envisage that your book would have such an impact when you started to, to go out and say, OK, I know you were writing the book more or less for yourself, but it's kind of gone beyond that. Yeah, I never, ever in a million years would have ever thought we would be talking today, mm -hmm. ever. Two years ago, never. Um, but to me, you know what? I think a lot of that has to do with mindset. And another thing that stuck people have is a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And I had a scarcity mindset at Goldman because it was always like, you could only leave Goldman once. There's no other jobs out there but this one. You have to make as much money as you can because there's no way to make money anywhere else. It's that that position where of like desperation, scarcity breeds kind of desperation that you're stuck, that you have to, that you're obligated, that there's no other choices. And to me, my mindset now is one of abundance. Mm -hmm. Like I hear from amazing people like you who just reached out to me because they heard about my book and look at this amazing conversation we're ha having. And who knows, maybe I'll hear from one of the people listening to it and we'll have an interesting conversation. And so, you know, it kind of sounds a little woo woo coming <laughs> from like a Goldman, you know, banker, but it's really true. So much of what we do in our careers has to do what's happening between our ears. Mm-hmm and making sure we have a healthy mindset. And if you have a healthy mindset where you say, okay, I'm stuck, but I'm gonna choose to live in a world where there's options, that's how you get unstuck. You make that one first step. And look at what my one first step of a writing group in suburban New Jersey at a coffee shop three years later happened. And it doesn't happen overnight. If you're stuck, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and be in your dream job. Mm -hmm. But that's why you have to make a plan mm -hmm. and know that there's options and just start with your first step. That's great advice. And I think many people listening who feel that way or feel they might look at a career change down the line, I think could really benefit from that advice that it starts with yourself and it starts with a small step and that you build on it bit by bit. Um, I was laughing about what you said there a second ago, whereby, you know, one day you woke up and you weren't in Goldman and that was such a, a stark contrast to your previous life. And I remember a section in your book where I think it was the day after you uh, finished up, all of your kids had a uh, vomiting bug <laughs> and you oh found yourself... God, cleaning up after four kids and you thought to yourself bring me back into the city <laughs> but yeah, like, I can what imagine. have I done yeah what have I done yeah and you know I was so distraught that I was I was I was like I should do this I should do this and and you know again I wanted to get back on a hamster wheel mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and instead I said you know what like let me just think what is it that I want yeah yeah and I know people are busy at work, 
you know, so even if the first step, if you're feeling stuck in your career, even if the first step is saying, I'm going to reflect, I'm going to go for a walk this week and think about what it is I might want. Mm -hmm. And then maybe have coffee with a friend and say, you know, what do you think I might be good at? I'm thinking about a career change. What do you think? That's kind of your board of directors, right? Yes. And you just be open to having conversations and thinking about small steps. And you have to be willing to be patient and know it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that sounds like great advice. And I think your clients are probably very, very lucky to have that one-on-one coaching on a general general day-to-day basis. Um, I think that kind of brings us to, to about the end of the podcast. We've only touched on a few of the topics. There is so much contained in your book, uh, Bully Market, um, and anyone who's listening, I'm sure, who's interested in reading it will read it. Um, it gives a really good insight into your experience. And I think as well, it, I'm, I've really, really enjoyed hearing about your newfound um, love of coaching young professionals who are in this industry and in other industries. And I'm so excited to see what you do next. Um, and John and I were only speaking before the, the this podcast and we wanted to know, and maybe you can give us an inside scoop. Do you have any plans to write any more books Jamie <laughs> oh you know I mean I love writing mm-hmm. um I have you know people have been asking me that and I haven't really thought about it because I've been so um engaged in just having great conversations with like people like you writing is such a um isolating process yes, yes. it's yes. like such a lonely process and so I feel like now that I wrote the book I get to talk to people again <laughs> it's really nice to be able to talk and and um, have interaction with people. So you know what? I I never rule out anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but as of right now, other than you know, I I um, I participate in writing classes. I'm going to be teaching some writing classes this new year. So Great. I'm going to kind of see what comes of it. But um, not yet. I don't have like a topic quite yet. Okay. Well, what but I, I got will from tell that you, was watch I, the space. <laughs> I have. I will tell you. I have been so inspired by all the outreach I've gotten from people mm-hmm. and yeah. how much of um, an impact it's made. So the paperback is coming out this spring. So I'm working on some additional content touching upon that. Great. So maybe that might be another bridge to more material in the future. Well, I look forward to reading that. Um, thank you so, so much. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Jamie. Um, some great bits of advice in there for our listeners. Uh, it's been a really engaging conversation. It's a, a delight, uh, a delight to meet you, and uh, it was I, I really enjoyed your book. Uh, and again, I'd encourage anyone to to have a have a read of it. It's uh, certainly a, a great insight into uh, your career and uh, your time in Goldman's. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Just to note that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily the views of either MTU or SETU and nothing discussed on this programme constitutes financial advice. If you've enjoyed listening to us and you'd like to learn more about the Funds Academy activities, please feel free to visit us at fundsacademy.ie or indeed you can reach out to either of the hosts, Ashley O'Mahony or John Casey via the contact link there. Thank you.